Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and integrated well-being. Let's get to it. Here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is all about the heart. If there's anybody out there who is raising kids, and that is the good portion of our listeners, we first need to learn how to raise ourselves, and that's really what we're talking about today. My next guest is Julie Lithcott-Hames, and we're talking with her about her book, How to Raise an Adult, Break Free of the Overparenting Trap and Prepare Your Kid for Success. Julie spent a decade as Dean of Freshmen at Stanford University, where she received, and I hope I pronounced this well, Julie, the Dinkelspiel Award. Yes, good job. Yay, woohoo! For her contributions to the undergraduate experience. She's a mother of two teenagers. She has spoken and written widely on the phenomenon of helicopter parenting, and her work has appeared in a TED Talk and two TEDx Talks, as well as in the New York Times, Chicago Tribune, Forbes, and Parents Magazines. She holds, holds degrees from Stanford, Harvard Law School, and California College of the Arts, and is a member of the San Francisco Writers Grotto, and she lives in the Bay Area, and she is in the house. Hi, Julie. Hi, Lisa. Thanks so much for that great intro. I, oh. I, I hope I can, I'm sitting here in my, uh, well, I don't need to tell your listeners, I'm, it, it's morning here. Let's just say I'm not quite as uh, neatly dressed as I would be had I uh, had I gone off to uh, work outside the home today. So it's delightful to hear all of those, uh, the great things that you've just said. I appreciate it. Well, they are all you. And I actually love sharing when our, our guests are willing to share their attire, because I would say that you you are in your mom getting the kids off to school uniform. Well, here's what happened. I'm starting to answer. I'm starting to make that last comment. And I'm thinking, Julie, where are you going with this? You're on a radio podcast right now. Shut up. They do not need to know this. So I'm I just started to ramble and, and babble. But the truth is I am in my um in a in a sort of um comfy 
uh, a crew colored uh, robe. Um, my children have just left for high school. I was the parent that made them breakfast this morning, love to connect with my 15 and 17 year old, have a busy day of calls and didn't quite make it back upstairs between the kids and this uh, conversation with you. So I am actually, you know, in fleece socks and a, and a light, nice little uh, bathrobe in my yard pod, which is where I do my writing in a little 12 by eight shed outside my house. Oh, or that could be also known as the she cave, right? Exactly. It's my she cave. <laughs> or she shed. Is I think that's what they call it, the she shed. She shed, and I'm drinking some coffee, a nice dark roast, with a little half and half and equal. Oh, beautiful. And, and and I think this this does play to really the theme of what we're talking about. We have this image of what it takes to be successful, raise successful kids. And the reality of it is when we can empower our children to stand fully and efficiently on their own and um, recognize that whether they're in a bathrobe, talking on a podcast or in a business suit in front of a board meeting, that it is that sense of being fully empowered and present that is really what dictates success. You know what? That's absolutely right. And I think it gets to the heart of what's wrong with our, why our overparenting causes such harm. There's no doubt we have the best of intentions when we keep track of every deadline and plan every activity and supervise every play date and effectively hold their hand through life. But we are depriving them of the chance to be, to actually develop and become a separate human being from us, which is what's contributing to these higher rates of anxiety and depression in children and adolescents and young adults. We are overhelping, and in so doing, we interrupt the natural developmental process of self-efficacy, which is only developed when a human sees, hey, I exist, and I know I exist because my actions lead to outcomes. When we overhelp, we deprive them of developing a self. We must empower our kids, as you've said, to be their own person. You know, it's funny when you talk about overhelping my, 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 he's my boyfriend, but he's my long-term partner. We've been together forever. Chris, Christopher always says to me, you're pre-chewing their food, you know? <laughs> right. And you know what? That's appropriate. Um, humans don't tend to do that, but other mammals do. You do that in the earliest, earliest years because they don't have teeth. You know, effectively Gerber baby food is pre-chewing the food, right? It, they manufacture mushed up food that we can feed our kids once they're old enough for solid food. But that stage ends. That stage ends. We should delight in the fact that now they can actually chew and eat the food themselves. And the next step after that is they have to learn to cut their own meat. And yeah. I share that example, Lisa, because I was this finger-wagging dean. I was a dean of freshmen at Stanford seeing too many overparented young adults on my campus. And I would say to every parent, you know, at a big talk at the start of freshman year, you know, trust your kid. Trust us. Now, please leave. You know, like, go. It's college. Stop overhelping. And then in 2009, after giving this speech eight times in a row, eight years in a row, <laughs> I come home. Sawyer and Avery, my kids are now eight and 10. I come home the next day at dinner time and I lean over and start cutting Sawyer's meat. And he was 10. And I was effectively doing what your very wise partner, Christopher, has said to stop doing. I was effectively still chewing up his food for him, right? I was cutting his meat. Like, what was I so afraid of? That the food that we had given him required such a sharp knife that somehow he was going to stab himself and die? You know? <laughs> yeah, I. Them I how to hold and use knives. 
I hear you. And I have been that parent at a freshman orientation when my daughter went to college last year that was told to leave, that was told (laughs) to trust and let go. And I did. And I hugged goodbye. And I went out on the streets of New York City and had a good cry and then pulled up my panties and realized that my job was done. Well, and let me say this, Lisa. I mean, first of all, oh, that's going to be me in one year. And I know I will be weeping on some sidewalk. <laughs> you will. And it'll be okay. Honey, it's going to be all right. Exactly. Our emotion is real and legitimate, number one. Number two, we do not have to inflict it on our kids, though. You know, the best thing to do with that emotion is express it with friends who can relate. But don't burden your son or daughter with feeling like, oh, my gosh, my mom's not going to be okay without me. Oh, my gosh, my mom has no life without me. You know, right? That's what we're doing. All right. And we don't just drop them cold turkey at college. When we deans, I'm a former dean now, when we say, you know, please leave, we don't mean forever. Please turn your back on this child. Um, What we're saying is acknowledge that college is a new phase and stage of life. Remember your own self at 18, 19 and what you were capable of. Why should we expect anything less of young adults today? Here's the best thing you can do with a college student. I don't know if if you've encountered this yet with your own. They call home or text home or whatever it is, Skype home, you know, with a concern, you know, my roommate is using my toothpaste. Um, My professor doesn't like me or is mean or gave me a B, you know, I didn't get into this club I wanted. And we're frantic for them, not necessarily, you know, with those examples, maybe we're not frantic, but we're sort of, oh, no, oh, my poor kid, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? That linguistic tick of ours, what am I going to do? How are we feeling about this? That's evidence of the overparenting problem. When we hear these things, we need to say, we need to be empathetic. Wow, honey, that sounds frustrating or sad or scary or awful or whatever the situation warrants by way of empathy. That sounds, hmm. Then you say, how do you think you're going to handle it, honey? And that incredibly short sentence conveys three strong points. Number one, it's a problem that ought to be handled. Number two, it's not my problem to handle. Number three, I think you're capable of handling it. And that third message is what we've deprived them of feeling throughout their childhood if we've overparented. You know, this is a fabulous, fabulous point. And in your book, you really talk about reevaluating the pronouns, right? You know, yeah. stop saying we when we're referring to the kids' activity. It's not, it's not our science project, right? Yeah, we're not on the soccer team, right? You just try running up and down that field three times, right? (laughs) Your kid is kicking the ball or defending or whatever. Don't deprive them of the joy and frustration and effort and accomplishment of their experience by pretending that we are doing it. No, it's your son. It's your daughter. Exactly. And I I do have an example of what you just shared. My daughter... um started as a freshman last year in New York City at, at, a, at a university and was terribly unhappy. She grew up, you know, by the beach in Southern California, and she had a, a division of herself as a freshman. I don't know if it was a Sex in the City Carrie Bradshaw thing. We're not quite sure what it was. But quickly after she arrived on campus, she realized that being in New York City was not right for her. And she said, Mom, I want to transfer. And I said, really? Okay, well, why don't you do all the legwork and let me know what you decide and I'll support you from the sidelines. Within three months, the kid had transferred to Oregon to another university. She's blissfully happy and she learned about her hardiness, her resilience, her ability to solve problems. And that made me feel that our parenting experience together was a success. 
Boy, that's a beautiful story. And the former freshman dean in me is really um, feeling a lot of compassion for you and your kid, um, because I would encounter occasionally students who were, you know, unhappy at Stanford, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, right. And, um, and I would, you know, try, and, and the fact that you let her, you heard it, you know, you didn't uh, try to dissuade her, uh, but you, you put the onus for dealing with it squarely in her court, right? It was like, I'll support from the sidelines. I love that. It's they want to know they're believed in. They want to know they're loved no matter what. And they want to live their own life. And when we overhelp, like if we if you had gotten on the phone to talk to the dean to figure out how does someone transfer, you know, what are the deadlines? How do you put your best foot forward? You know, then you would have deprived her of you know, what we humans experience as joy, actually, in seeing that our hard work leads to some kind of outcome. You know, she could kind of, when she transferred, she knew she did that, you know, largely on her own, which which helps her feel empowered. Exactly. She's happy at Oregon. And when we're offline and you're ready to talk brand names, um, I'd love to hear where she is because my kid is considering schools up there. And uh, I'd love to know a little bit more. So we, we will do it. We're going to jump off to a break because I'll get screamed out if we don't. I, I want to give your contact information to reach Julie Lithcott Hames. Please visit howtoraiseanadult.com on Twitter. That's at Raise an Adult, and on Facebook, How to Raise an Adult. And once again, that book is How to Raise an Adult, Break Free of the Overparenting Trap and Prepare Your Kids for Success. We're going to go to a break, but before we do, I want to talk to our listeners, you guys, about something that is super-duper important between the election, winter weather, and if your family is anything like mine, the holidays, it's been a tough couple of months. And while it's important to take care of your mental health, we all know that it can be hard to make it to the therapist's office. That's why we're excited that today's podcast is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company that connects you with a licensed therapist for just $32 a week. Whether you want to talk about Trump, your annoying uncle, something going on at the office, or just want, want to work on becoming a better person, Talkspace can help. Using the Talkspace smartphone app or website, you can text and audio message your therapist as much as you want. And for a reasonable additional fee, you can have a video call as well. So my friends, don't lose sleep, don't lose your cool, and don't lose out on this special offer. Go to Talkspace.com harvest or use the coupon code HARVEST to get $30 off your first month and to show your support for this podcast. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Happiness is an inside job. Wear the message on t-shirts, baseball caps, sterling silver designer jewelry, and more. Please visit our online boutique at www.harvestinghappiness.com. Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, and heroes.org. 
Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress came and has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life. Available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. We are talking with Julie Lithcott Hames about her new book, How to Raise an Adult. Break free of the overparenting trap and prepare your kids for success. And since I had her captive in my studio, I was sharing my own story with my daughter, who's embarking on her college career. But I think what we're really talking about is the marker of success in our kids, that success isn't a diploma from an elite school. Success really is defined by some very other, more simple core experiences. Julie, talk about this, because this is really important. Yeah. Well, Lisa, you know, you're down there in Southern California. I'm up here in Silicon Valley. And everywhere a kid turns in my neighborhood, they see um, so-called trappings of success. They see a Tesla car. They see Stanford University up the road. They see Facebook down the road. They see Google. They see, um, you know, these things that, that are sort of the embodiment of the ideal of success in the minds of some But those of us who've been on the planet a little bit longer have learned perhaps the hard way that success, as you've alluded to, isn't really those things. It's really having a sense of who we are, uh, what makes us tick, what we're good at, what we love, trying to get better at those things, you know, being in community with people who care about those things. Um, You know, it's it's very basic, actually. Um, Success, in my view, at least, isn't, you know, the amount of income I make, but the joy I derive from the work I do. And I'm a former corporate lawyer who became a university dean and took a pay cut and then became a writer and took a pay cut. Um, (laughs) And, you know, but the but the work, um, you know, has gotten more and more and more rewarding as I've made those important decisions. So, um, you know, what I want when, when people say, what's your definition of success for your kids, Julie, I say, I want them to leave my home here in Palo Alto, California, knowing how to work hard because the real world requires hard work, perseverance, persistence, resilience, get back up, try again, you can do it, you know, hard work, number one. Number two, I want them to know how to be kind to other humans because that's an essential element of being a human, being able to interact with others advocate for yourself with others, be generous hearted toward others, express gratitude, work hard, be kind. And if they, the third thing I want is that they leave here with their mental health intact. And I don't say that glibly or lightly. Children here in Palo Alto and plenty of other communities are struggling tremendously with the expectations that lead, that, that are based on this narrow definition of success, the brand name college, the right career, the right income. They think that their worth as a human has is something to do with their GPA or their ACT or SAT scores and that they are worth less, literally worthless, worth space less if they don't achieve at that level. And it's harming our kids Yes. So what I want is for them to leave my home with their mental health intact, knowing how to work hard and be kind to other humans. If they do that, they will be well prepared to thrive out in life doing whatever the heck it is, whatever the hell it is. I can say that I'm on a podcast. You can, you can, you go girl. Their life. (laughs) That's the humbling piece. They are not our pet. They are not our project. 
They're not a stock we're managing on NASDAQ. Are they up? Are they down? They're not ours. They're a separate human from us, you know? And, and that, that recognizing that brings you such relief. Not that we don't care or love. Of course we do. But they are not ours to micromanage through life. We're trying instead to set them up with the foundation so they can lead their own life. Yeah. And, and, and I think another component is the um, allowing the space and opportunity for failure, for the skin knee. And this is something as parents, we have a hard time doing that. We need to step aside and recognize that the failure is part of their success. They must experience it. Well, it's really ironic because in Silicon Valley, the designers and engineers and tech folks here know, you know, they even have it as a mantra, you know, fail your way forward. They know they have to prototype and iterate and prototype and iterate, you know, try and fail, try and fail, test it out, see what works, keep trying, right? That's embedded in their whole um, philosophy in terms of their, their work ethos. But then they come home and they parent in a way that is intolerant of imperfection or failure. And um, so, yes, you're absolutely right. Resilience yeah. is this, is the key, and and we are our kids' best role models for this. They think we've led some perfect path. They see you, they see your ex, they see your your long term partner, they see all the adults in their lives, and they're like, oh, they're successful. They've never struggled. Our kids don't realize that we've had setbacks, that we've failed, that we've fallen, that we've done things we're not proud of. You know that things have not gone our way all the time. We need to sit with them when the bad thing happens and empathize. Boy, honey, that sounds really awful. That must feel awful. And then pause and just sit with the discomfort as Brene Brown would teach us. Like acknowledge that humans are vulnerable and humans feel shame and humans have bad things happen. And then tell a story from our own life about how we coped with some setback. Not to say it's the exact same thing as our kid is going through, but simply to say, kid, I've been there too. I've struggled yes. and, I, and I learned and I'm still me and I'm still loved and I still love you no matter what. It's the best thing we can do. And in terms of uh, helicopter parenting or tiger parenting and what doesn't work about that, you know, and that goes back to the pre-chewing of the food, which is not a good model for raising successful children. We, we, we agree on that. The flip side of it is that allowance for personal discovery. And especially in, in these times, you know, when, when you and I were young and our parents were young and they were raising kids, we were given a very, very different model of what the good life would look like. And kids today have a very different perspective of that. The economy has changed, commerce has changed, careers have changed. And I think this is very exciting, actually. There's an upside to this in that kids get to really come up with even a portfolio career, if yeah. that's what pleases them. They can start out one place and they can migrate to another without stigma, where I know for myself, when I went to college the first time, I was I was supposed to like pick my profession at I went to college at 16 and yeah. just go do it. Yeah, that was it. Right. Right. Yeah. Boy, has the world changed. And boy, does it seem a bit bewildering to us, you know, as we try to anticipate what will our kids need? How can we best support them? Here's what's not changed. Um, we're mammals. And our job, like the job of any mammal parent is to raise our kid, our offspring, to fend for themselves. Yep. And and if the economy is worse, I'd wage, and, it, and let's say it is, it is. It's certainly a different economy than we're familiar with from our young adulthood. Um, 21st century is this totally weird, unfamiliar, scary shifting landscape. 
Um, our instinct is to overhelp, to protect, to always be there, to hold their hand, to talk to employers on their behalf, to talk to deans and faculty on their behalf, to yell at coaches on their behalf. My point is, hey, if the world is scarier, if the economy is worse, our kids actually need to be stronger than we were, not yes. weaker. Agreed. Not weaker. And overhelping them teaches them nothing except they're not capable and I'll always be there for you, kid which is a lie. We will not always be there. We will predecease them. At least that's the way it's supposed to happen. And one day they will be bewildered on the doorstep of their forced adulthood, forced by our departure is what I mean. And they yes. won't have a clue what to do. And that essentially um, has crippled their chances, you know, at being the, the strong, capable adult um, that we were supposed to raise them to be. And the book, going back to the book's title, How to Raise an Adult, we're not talking about, the book title isn't How to Raise Children. Yeah. The book title is How to Raise an Adult. And that is really what our aim, I believe, should be as parents, Absolutely. you know, to equip them for life. Exactly. Um, our job as parents is to put ourselves out of a job. Just let that land on you, Right. Our job is to put ourselves out of a job. We will never stop loving them. And God willing and the creek don't rise, they will never stop loving us. But we need to put ourselves out of a job. They no longer need to be parented. You know, they got it. They can fend for themselves. We have confidence in their skill set. And so do they. Yes, beautifully said. And let's talk a little bit about courage and the courage that is necessary for a child to become an adult and, 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 and stand in who they are, because that, that sense of authenticity and, and truth is not something that was necessarily valued in past generations, but certainly is valued in adulthood today. Yeah. You know, when I think about where courage comes from, um, you know, sometimes people will say to you, boy, that was brave. And you think, well, no, it, whatever I just did wasn't brave because bravery only accrues if the if there was, you know, if if I overcame a threat, you know, if there was pain involved, if there was a chance that I wouldn't that I wouldn't make it. And in other words, bravery and courage, these things are forged through hardship. Yep. They cannot develop courage if they've never had to be courageous, if nothing was ever scary, if they didn't have to take a leap. You know, they don't get resilience by reading about it. They have to um they have to skin their knee and and feel the pain and learn to get back up and and handle that wound and keep going and discover that they're stronger and they've learned something and their body is also physically stronger as a result. So essentially, we have to stop preventing the little mistakes and curveballs from, you know, happening in our kids' lives. We actually have to let those things happen and to welcome them as necessary teachers within childhood so our kids become the courageous, resilient, strong people we want them to be. Beautifully said. My guest today has been Julie Lithcott-Hames, and the book is How to Raise an Adult, Break Free of the Overparenting Trap, and Prepare Your Kid for Success. To contact her, please connect over at howtoraiseanadult.com, on Twitter at Raise an Adult, and on Facebook, guess what? How to Raise an Adult. Thank you, Julie. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. It simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, 
place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen, and on behalf of my guests today, Dr. Oliver Robinson and Julie Lithcott-Hames, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with TogiNet and KBUU and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange. Go out and rock your day. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on TogiNet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress came and has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life. Available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness, because happiness is a choice, and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. My next guest is uh, a man that I probably should follow around. As many of you know, I am the mother of two emerging adults, so it's fun around my house. And the subject matter of how our children are coming into their adulthood is a big one and a challenging one. And I'm, I'm delighted to have invited and have Dr. Oliver Robinson with us in the house. Dr. Robinson is a program leader and senior lecturer for psychology in the Department of Psychology, Social Work, and Counseling at the University of Greenwich. Oliver is program lead for a bachelor's, and this is, he's in Britain, in Britain so the moniker for all the degrees is very different, um, and uh, in psychology with counseling and a three-year course coordinator for Adult Development and Mental Health. Dr. Robinson's research focuses on how identity, well-being, and mental health are affected by major life transitions, crises, and the aging processes during adulthood. His research has gained interest from the media, including The New Scientist, The Guardian, BBC Radio 4, The Telegraph, and The Times. He is the author of many academic articles, presentations, as well as the book, Development Through Adulthood. Welcome, Dr. Oliver Robinson. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure. This really is a very, very complicated topic, and I see this every day, not only with my own children and in those of my friends, family, and, and, and colleagues, but also with the clients that I work with in addiction and trauma recovery. Um, we really are on the, on the precipice of a crisis with how our children are stepping into adulthood. Talk a little bit about that. 
Well, I think that the, the, it's always been a period of vulnerability in the, in the lifespan. In fact, in my view, it's, uh, it's, it's a paradox uh, in that it's, the, in many ways, the peak period of physical strength and physical fitness and fertility, but it's also a peak period of vulnerability as well. So, so the young, in, that, in, the, in the early years of adulthood, the young person experiences being right at the top of their game in some ways, but also being profoundly unstable in others as well. And that, that's quite a potent mix. And I think that's always been the case, but I think there are factors that are making that transition particularly hard at the moment. Um, and those factors vary across culture. Um, in my country, the factors that are making it particularly hard involve the, uh, the, the, the pressures relating to extremely expensive housing and rent and the difficulty in becoming autonomous and uh, in, in a residential sense, um, the debt that we're putting on young people in relation to education, difficulty entering the job market and then rather low salaries when uh, they do, and um, and also I think that there are pressures from uh, social media and the internet as well. I agree, and, and and I see all of those. And because we're dealing with a state of inequality, I think that's also part of it. Is that you? That there are the haves, there are the have-nots. There are people who are struggling, and the uh, realization of the dream, you know, uh, that let's say I had in my generation when I was raised. Um, you went off to college, you picked a career, you you successfully achieved that career, and you and you launched into the marketplace. That's not the case present day. It's it's not the case, and yeah, I think the inequality issue is major. So, and we again, so focusing on the UK and Europe, we have the inequality issue within countries and between. So, you have within the UK a huge inequality in terms of pretty much the only. The property prices are so inflated that the only people who are getting onto the property ladder are those who are getting help from their parents with yes. uh, or some kind of inheritance where which gives them the lift up onto their first property. Uh, because the fact is that entry level properties, the prices are out of whack with earnings completely. So you just can't you can't do it on your own. Uh, and that leads to a, a, a real kind of them and us situation where you have people who come from wealthy families who kind of get themselves into you know, who do well out of adult society and kind of move into the, the, the world of, of settling down without a problem and the others who feel locked out. And that is a, a real sense of inequality that's happening. And I think that it's breeding resentment in the UK. No doubt. And I think it's important to mention that in the UK, the structure for buying residential property is in, entirely different, the, the banking structure. Um, there are not, you don't have a system that loans um, 80% or 90% of the value of the home. You have to come up with a significant amount of the cost of that property. That's correct. So basically, when you're applying for a mortgage in the UK uh, for a loan on your house, Typically, the bank will give you five times your salary, if you're lucky, four or five times your salary, and they'll expect yeah, a considerable uh, 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 deposit that, yeah, that you, no longer were you going to get a 90% mortgage these days, perhaps sort of 70% or something like that. So, um, so all in all, it puts, a, it puts a, a big squeeze on. And then we've got these crazy inflated prices 
which make life difficult. And even for those who can't buy, when they rent, they end up paying the majority of their salary just for rent. It's so it's so high, and particularly in London. Um, but yeah, going back to the inequality issue, you've also got within Europe an extraordinary situation where you have countries that are in a political union, they're all in the EU, and so can currently move without any restriction whatsoever um, for as long as they want. So essentially making it kind of to, in, to some degree, one big country, um, but you have income disparities within that uh, political bloc, um, which are, are, are immense. For example, if you're a qualifying doctor in Bulgaria, you'll make about uh, 250 euros a month, um, and you'll make 10 times that in the UK. So how, that, how exactly that's supposed to work? Uh, because that those who, who are in the poor countries are supposed to stay in the poor countries. Uh, but you can imagine that the motivation to move to one of the affluent countries is enormous. And how does this play on the development of one's character as a young adult? You know, I, that it, it plays not yeah. only out in, in the economic arena, but I sure. think it also, you know, it really speaks to how we begin to relate, how we engage in relationship, how we choose to partner up, and then what living the good life then looks like. Well, I think, yeah, it, it, it's, uh, it, it makes relationships difficult in for young adults who are trying to uh, move out of a situation where relationships are temporary and into something where they're, they're, they're more permanent. But so often the basis of a, of a health of a, of a relationship that has a sense of permanence about it is living in your own place, yes. having your own life and not living with your parents, not being financially dependent on your parents. And again, that, that transition has become uh, very prolonged, rather painful. And it just makes, I think, the process of moving into relationship difficult. And with regards to the issue of identity, I think that um, at the moment, young people are, are, are struggling with the issue of should I identify with a system that isn't working for me and essentially become a kind of citizen? Or should I rail against it and try and kind of fuel a revolution which is gonna perhaps change things that will give me the opportunities that my parents had? Yeah, and I wonder, are those opportunities available? I mean, there will, there will always be people who will achieve success, you know, the outliers who are willing to invest those 10,000 yeah. hours of mastery. But for the average person, I think this is this is daunting. And um, you also have, I think you mentioned something very important about when the when the base is not secure, when the basic, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and we don't have those basic things that offer us um, a, a solid, secure uh, underpinning, the rest becomes compromise. But the flip side is that if you have a lot of people cohabitating in a rental, if you will, you know, because they can't afford to go off and buy, you have a new emerging sense of community and family, I think, as well, which may be very interesting. Absolutely. Um, so I think that the change that's occurred in um, in young adulthood, away, particularly with these transitional um, residential setups where you have people flat sharing and you have all kinds of uh, situations where people come together to kind of try and f find a, a way of living which perhaps is uh, affordable and fun away from parents. Yeah, I think there's lots lots of positives there and I do think that um, 
that there are you know there certainly are uh, many opportunities for young people but i think the basic issue at the moment is that uh as a at a kind of population level um that the, the young people are far more stretched, more stressed, and worse off as, 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 a, as a group than my generation, and and then again the generation above me who've who've lodged it on a huge property uh, uh, bubble and uh, and uh, and are sort of sitting pretty, relatively speaking. I mean, so here's me. I graduated in 2000. I barely paid a penny for my education. And though, I mean, I appreciate that. that's a long way from. Uh, what uh, from the American model, but still, in in those days, we could kind of enjoy our our, our time in in higher education and the knowledge that there wasn't a pressure on us to have to pay off massive debts afterwards, and that the job market was relatively buoyant, and we probably find it fairly easy to find work. And so, life at university was in large part enjoying the experience and kind of and and uh, and sitting around and talking about big issues. At the moment in the UK, it feels, and I'm speaking as a university academic, it feels slightly that um, now that we've put on these very large tuition fees, which mean that students will be graduating with you know, very large debts, I mean, tens and tens of thousands, um, that, uh, that, and f as a result, far fewer take time out, for example, a gap year, that we're expecting that, that universities become more of a treadmill and therefore... I would say less developmentally uh, formative. It's less a chance to kind of become yourself, and more a, a situation where you have to just grind it out to make sure yeah. that all that money you've spent is worthwhile. We're going to need to go to a break, but before we do, I want to give uh, your contact information over at the University of Greenwich. It's a little bit of a, a prolonged link, but it's www.gre.ac.uk. And it's E-D-U-H-E-A slash study slash PSWC slash staff slash Oliver hyphen Robinson. Um, it may be easier just to Google Dr. Oliver Robinson at the University of Greenwich. And the book available through Amazon is Development Through Adulthood, an integrative source book. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back to carry on the conversation. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, and heroes.org. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. 
Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about emerging adulthood with Dr. Oliver Robinson, who is a lecturer for psychology in the Department of Psychology, Social Work, and Counseling at the University of Greenwich in England. He's also the author of Development Through Adulthood, and he studies uh, emerging adulthood, and this is where a, a lot of his research and writing has been focused. So, Dr. Robinson, prior to the break, we were talking about some of the challenges, particularly in the UK and Europe, that young adults are meeting concerning the housing market and the mm. in. Uh, unstable base that they are living in and how that is affecting their emerging adulthood. But there are other ways um, that uh, this is being touched upon. And in my view, from what I see, also a concern because it is um, a crisis. And really, we're talking about drugs, alcohol, addiction, and these challenges and the choice mechanism that comes to play. To understand addiction involves understanding what it means to be a young adult because the peak period of use, whether it's alcohol or narcotics, is in the period between ages 17 to 24. Uh, And it really is a pronounced difference uh, in terms of comparing it with younger age groups and older age groups. So there's something about transitioning into adulthood at the moment that makes people, uh, makes the idea of intoxicants and narcotics very attractive. Um, and uh, and it wasn't always that way. It's not always been the case that young people kind of reach for the drink or reach for drugs and start developing addiction problems. So I do think, yeah, that, that they're deeply interrelated. And I do think that mainly it's a bad coping mechanism. It's a coping mechanism that that, that has an immediate effect, but unfortunately it also has long-term negative effects to reduce the sense of stress, to reduce the feeling of, having to deal with conflicting demands which you can't reconcile. Yeah. And what about emotional intelligence? I mean, you've got something going on organic in the brain. You've got the, the, the brain is completing the prefrontal cortex development, right, that's governing reason, accountability, morality, decision-making. Then you've got the emotional intelligence, which is really uh, still under development in those in those age groups or that age bracket. So you've got two things at work, you know, the internal and then the external, and it's very complicated. Yeah, it is. And you're right. So emotional intelligence still very much uh, developing at that age. Um, and uh, I think that an interesting as it were, a kind of structural feature of young adulthood these days, which is that um, you are legally an adult from the age of 18, but you may not feel like an adult for some years beyond that. And that leads to a sense of sort of being stuck in between, being being uh, being both a, a, a child, a powerless child in some ways, still beholden to parents and to, uh, and to, and to loans and generally feeling like you're not your own boss and you're not in charge of your own life while being expected to be Mr. Responsible or, 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 or Miss Responsible and, uh, and, and, and act in the way that you are seen to be in the law, which is a fully fledged adult. And I just feel that at the moment that, that one of the ways that young deal with that sense of being caught in between is by trying to 
yeah, is, is, is by uh, uh, not trying to handle it too much and uh, and going down the addict, well, going down the, the drugs or or, uh, or alcohol route, and that obviously can, can end in addiction. Um, with regards to the whole issue of crisis, um, one thing I'm, I should say is that uh, nowadays more young people experience periods of formative crisis than they used to, particularly in their mid-20s, as they're struggling to make major decisions. And while that's stressful and difficult, it is actually also uh, a great opportunity uh, for change and for pursuing directions that uh, that mean that life is going to pan out in a way where you're doing things that you find enjoyable, that you feel authentic doing. So uh, I do think that the, 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 the crises that we're seeing, the quarter-life crisis in, uh, in young adults, does have uh, a, uh, a silver lining attached to it. Um, and uh, and that's, uh, yeah, that's something we can uh, discuss. Well, I, I, I agree with you. And, you know, uh, what comes to mind is, you know, the, the concept of post-traumatic growth, that when we are most challenged and tested and put to our limits, we see the, the we can see the best within our character emerge. And I think that this is the upside of this, of what this generation is positively challenged by. You know, they're trailblazing, certainly, in, in a very different right. world. Yeah, so post-traumatic growth, I think, is a, is is a, an, a, an appropriate comparison. And uh, what I think is that w when someone's having a heart a, a crisis, that kind of that feeling that you're in a, a an episode in your life where things are unstable and you need new answers, you, you're looking for solutions, you're looking for ways out of your uh, situation and your sense of bad feeling, uh, is that it's it kind of creates development in fast forward. Is that is is being in that search mode, being very curious about life, and uh, and uh, and trying to look for something that's going to move you forward and change things. Is that rather than carry on uh, repeating old mistakes, it's a chance. It's a it's a it's a really dynamic chance to change. And partially, we we have that opportunity to change because. We just settle down a lot later than we used to. We settle down into jobs and stable marriages and parenthood later than we used to. So it just leaves more time for footloose crisis, crisis where you can genuinely change your job or your big decisions, your direction in life without having the burden of uh, of, of, uh, of uh, um, commitments, um, uh, 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 Obviously, children being a major challenge to making big life changes later on in adulthood. So, so true. It's preferable, in my opinion, to 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 make if you are going to make a big change to your life, to to realise uh, early that in fact perhaps you haven't gone in the right direction, you need to change, than to than to wait and try and do it in midlife. Um, uh, and uh, I would say from my research, and again, this is based on the UK, but I think it applies to the USA as well, that it's entirely normal in this age of massive choice that young people uh, make at least one very bad, very major decision about a job, a relationship, a social group, a, 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 a some, some aspect of their lifestyle which they then feel they need to uh, unravel and start again. And I think that if young people realise that actually 
the majority of people end up having one of these times where they where they where they they realize that actually they've they've made a major step into adult life but in fact it's in the wrong direction and have to sort of unravel it and start again then in fact if that's entirely normal and all the emotions that go around it which are pretty heavy are normal too that uh it's i think it kind of it provides an it provides a sense that uh it's it's actually abnormal to get everything right the first time and the kind of glossy magazine image you see of young people who probably probably waltz into job and marriage and sort of smile off into the sunset is uh, is false i think what you said is so important and it it really is an integral part of of the upside of what young adults get to experience is that the is the fun of failure and it's a it's not often spoke of because we are such a success driven world um, you know, he who gets to the finish line with the most toys wins. And what I hear you saying is the op- opportunity to uh, fall is something that can be reframed as part of the positive journey. It's how we develop. It's how we actually learn the, the other part of that emotional and social intelligence. The vocabulary is cultivated through experience. Right. So, yeah, absolutely. So I... I, I... I think that's that's a good a good summary. Um, so I'd say a couple of things on that. Firstly, yeah, absolutely, that that failure is something that we tend to almost pathologize. I, I notice in some of the the students who come to my university that they're terrified of failure, and I try and explain to them that actually failure is a great learning opportunity. When you succeed, you don't tend to reflect on what you've been doing and you move on. But when you fail, or when something doesn't go as, as planned, or you feel that there's a there's you know that there's been a mis- mistakes being made, you you reflect on what you did wrong and what you can do better the next time, and that process is valuable, uh, and that that process is one which only comes in you know in 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 the difficult times in the in the in, in alongside of feeling of failure. Also, I would say that it's a the quarter life crisis is a great opportunity to redefine what the hell success actually is because it's there's no fun being uh, apparently successful in a career that you don't 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 like and don't really feel is for you and it may look from the out internally like failure like you're like you're walking down a long road which is getting ever further from the destination you really wanted to be in. So, uh, yeah, crisis is a typically a time where you feel that things aren't moving as freely as 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 they normally do in life, and part of that is, is feelings of failure. But what I try and tell my students who feel like they're struggling with it with a feeling of failure is that uh, is that while success feels great, failure is the time when we learn it's when the, it's when we reflect on what we may have done otherwise and we seek alternative solutions on alternative means and uh, there is really no learning opportunity like failure and it's so uh, so if we can get young people to embrace it more and not almost feel feel afraid of it feel phobic of it then i think that's great and and i also think that periods of quarter life crisis and difficulty in in young adulthood can be a great opportunity to redefine what success means on more personal terms. So there's mm. not so much a kind of generic social badge about what success is, but more about what it means to you. Uh, and so that what may appear successful 
may in fact not be appropriate to you because it may it may feel like that it's contrary to what you want out of your life. And if you can realize that success is something that's personally defined, it's really liberating because it basically means you can pursue your own dreams and not those that you feel society and your parents may expect of you. And what a loving way to support a young adult and what a wonderful way to view life. It's a much more optimistic, hopeful, and inspiring uh, way to live. To learn more about the work of Dr. Oliver Robinson. To be a parent. (laughs) Yes, yes. To learn more about the work of Dr. Oliver Robinson, please visit him at the University of Greenwich. And it's easier for you to just Google Dr. Oliver Robinson, University of Greenwich, than it is for me to read you the complicated and lengthy link. His book is Development Through Adulthood, an integrative source book, and that's available on Amazon and other online purveyors. And Oliver, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks very much for having me. It's, it's been great. We have blown through another hour here, and I want to share a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, meaning, and lots of color. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet and KBUU and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange. Go out and rock your day and rock your year. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new broadcast and continue to harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on iTunes and SoundCloud. To learn more about Lisa's global practice as an applied positive psychology coach specializing in lifestyle management as well as addiction and trauma recovery services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness.